Hey, good morning. My name is Brian, and it's really good to be with you this morning. We're so glad that you are with us. So here at Highland Park, we've been going through this series of the book of Revelation, and it's been so much fun for us to go through this. A lot of people view Revelation kind of like a haunted house. They're afraid to even get close to it, and the only people who go are thrill-seekers who just want to go find something crazy, and everyone else kind of stays away. But we've really trying, tried to be teaching how do we read Revelation where it feels less like a haunted house and more like a welcoming home. Because every time God writes to us in Scripture, he wants to communicate something really important to us. So the point of Revelation is not to scare us away, but to actually draw us to him. And when we learn about Revelation, we try to go back and think 2,000 years ago, how did the first church hear this book? If we can hear it like they did, we're probably kind of going down the right path. And so what we know is that in Revelation, there's these two big themes. Number one, Jesus wins, overwhelmingly wins. And number two is that we better be ready. And sometimes being ready looks a lot like hanging on. And so as we go today, uh, there's a sermon page that you can follow along. Kids, there's some extra stuff for you to do on that sermon page and some notes that you can take and kind of follow along there. Uh, also, if you have a question today, even during the middle of the sermon, there's a number on the screen and you can text that number. And we've been uh, trying to answer a couple of those questions at the end of every service and we'll do our best to get to those today if we have time. And if not, we'll try to address them in a sermon later on and maybe just be able to visit with you later as well. But um, we won't read your name out loud or anything like that if you ask a question. So feel free to send us a question and we would love that. Well, every story has a villain. And, you know, even the best stories, there's a bad guy, right? And I have news for you. Your story has a bad guy, too. Let me show you what I mean. What's underneath the curtain? This really, really scary dragon. I, w I wanted to buy a bigger one, but they were like $200, and I couldn't blow my budget on it. So imagine that this is bigger and scarier than what it even looks like. But... The Bible, for good reason, depicts Satan like a dragon. You know, this was before movies like How to Train a Dragon, where suddenly dragons are cute and cuddly and you want one in your bed. 2,000 years ago, nobody wanted a dragon in their bed. They had read enough mythology and had heard the stories. Dragons were bad, okay? And so the question is, what do you do with the bad guy in your story? I want to invite you this morning to just really lean in to what God wants to say to you just for the next 20 minutes or so. Because I know this. I know that some of you come kind of reeling in life. Some of you come maybe feeling like you're confused in life. And some of you come not sure what you're supposed to do next or feeling lost or broken or like you've messed up too many times. And I just want to tell you that God has a word for you today how to overcome what the dragon wants to do in your life. And I just want to ask you, you're here, would you give God's voice in your heart just some moments to listen? Because I know that every time we do that, he can completely change our lives. Let's pray. God, would you just help us to listen to what you want to say to us this morning? We just want to tell you that our hearts are listening to your word. And thank you for caring enough to write to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can be turning to uh, Revelation chapter 12. And it's a pretty interesting story, to say the least. And there's some imagery 
in Revelation that we need to kind of unpack in this chapter because it's a great story, but if we don't understand the images, then we can end up a little bit lost. So you already know this. The dragon is who? Satan. We got that. Uh, the, the enemy, the devil. And uh, in Revelation 12, we see that this dragon has horns. That is symbolic of power. And the dragon is also wearing crowns because he's pretending to be a king even though he's not the king. So that's the, that's the dragon. There's also a son, and we know the son is Jesus. We know, because it's pretty clear in Revelation 12, who John, the writer, is talking about. He even quotes Psalm 2, which says, the son of God will rule the nations with an iron scepter. That's Psalm 2 talking about Jesus. And then uh, we see that same language used in Revelation. So the dragon is Satan. The son is Jesus. And then there's a woman, and this gets a little more tricky to figure out. Who is this woman who's giving birth in chapter 12? And uh, probably John he was writing this was drawing on Greek mythology a little bit. Everybody would have understood Greek mythology, and there was a... um, you know, a made-up person named Apollo who was the supposed son of the god Zeus. And uh, Apollo's mother is a little bit like this woman we see in Revelation 12. And John isn't trying to say this is Apollo's mom, but he's drawing on some symbolism that would have resonated with people. But this woman gives birth to Jesus. So is he talking about Mary? Maybe, but he's probably talking about actually Eve and Israel and the people of God because all of those things kind of led up to the birth of Jesus. And so when we look at this woman here, it's probably not just talking about one person. John is, is writing about this woman who's symbolic of Eve, Israel, and God's people, kind of in a mythological, nuanced way. Okay, quick review. Ready? Who's the dragon? Who's the son? Who's the woman? Symbolic of Eve, Israel, and God's people in a mythological nuanced way. Okay, we got some work to do on that one, okay? I just threw that in there to see if you were awake and you were with me. I wanted to mess with you just a little bit. Okay, also we see at the very last verse of chapter 12 that there, the woman has offspring, so generations on down from the son, and that's us. That's all people who have believed at all times. And we also see this three and a half years that keeps showing up in Revelation or um, 1,260 days or 42 months or time, times, and a half time. That's all the same. And all that means is, look out, there's this difficult time. We see that through the Bible. We see that especially in Revelation. And so when we see something like three and a half months in Revelation, we should kind of hear something like 9-11. Ugh. It makes you remember this difficult time. By the way, we're in that time right now, this kind of three and a half years. isn't a literal three and a half years, but this time between Jesus' first coming and second coming where uh, uh, we can hang on to Jesus with all we've got and we need to. Okay, now that we understand some of the imagery, now we can jump into this really interesting story. And kids, this is like the best kid story ever. This is pretty exciting here. So hang on, and, and here we go, Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, 
a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And his child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. There's that three and a half years. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he, the dragon, was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Now, there's a lot going on in that story, but God wins this cosmic battle in heaven and throws the dragon out of heaven. I really hope you'll come back next week because next week we're going to look at Revelation 20 and how does the world end? And in the meantime, how much authority does the dragon have on this earth? Is Satan bound, and what does that mean in our lives? And so next week is really, really important. I want to invite you back for that. But in the meantime, we're just looking here, and it's like, great, good news. God wins. Oh, wait, but there's some bad news involved for the earth. Look at verse 13, because what happens to the dragon? When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for time, times, and a half time. That's three and a half years again, this difficult period, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. So what in the world does this mean for us? Well, it means that Jesus wins the big war, but right now the dragon is waging war against us. So what does it look like for the dragon to wage war in our lives? Well, we know this. When we give in and are overcome by uh, anger or greed or prejudice or laziness or dishonesty, We know when we have been overcome by those things, the dragon is winning the war in our lives, right? We can sense that when we have lost and we've given in and those things become our God, then the dragon has fooled us into thinking that he really is the king. And don't you see the work of the dragon trying to tempt you to these things in your life? And the enemy wants to defeat you. So how do we defeat The enemy, how do we overcome this dragon? Well, we have really good news because look at verse 11. This is talking about the saints, the people who have overcome, who have stayed true to Jesus. And it says in verse 11 how they did it. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. The blood of the lamb, that's that's code for Jesus, right? Jesus is the lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So how do we overcome the dragon? We don't on our own. Jesus already has by his sacrifice and by the words of our testimony that every time we tell the story of what Jesus has done, we're defeating the dragon. And so the Gospels tell this story that we are in this brokenness 
And this brokenness, we can see it through war and famine and uh, depression in our own hearts and all the things we struggle with. But God did not want us to always be in this brokenness. He created us in his perfect design. And so God had Adam and Eve in this perfect place, but they blew it with this thing called sin. And if they would not have, I probably would have by now anyway. And sin always leads us away from God's perfect design to brokenness every single time. But God doesn't want us to stay in this brokenness. So he sent his son, Jesus, to the earth 2,000 years ago, that he would come to the earth and live a perfect life. And then we deserve death because of our sins, but Jesus died on a cross so that we could be forgiven. And he did not stay dead because on the third day, we celebrate this today, he rose from the dead so that we don't have to be broken anymore. We try to get away from our brokenness with lots of things, money, sometimes alcohol, relationships, even religion. We can try to get away from our brokenness, but it always snaps us back. There's only one way to escape our brokenness, and that is through Jesus Christ. We turn, the Bible says, repent and be baptized, and we believe, and Jesus takes us away from our brokenness into God's perfect design, and that is good news, and we grow in God, and then we go right back to the broken world that needs to hear that they can be saved too. There's two kinds of people in this world, people who are pursuing God's perfect design for their lives through Jesus and people who feel broken. The question for you this morning is, where are you in this? Are you broken or are you pursuing God's perfect design and you're allowing Jesus to transform you and to do for you what you could never do for yourself? You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he defeated sin. And when he rose from the dead, he defeated death. And so by both things, Jesus defeated the dragon, Satan, the enemy. And that is good, good news. And so what do you do with that news? Well, you do what the people did of old, the saints, and people are still doing today. Look back at verse 11, where it says, They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Think about that phrase, they did not shrink from death, because when we get afraid, sometimes we like shrink away, right? We want to get away from it. We're scared. But this says that they loved Jesus so much that they did not even shrink from death, if that's what it was going to cost them. I have a friend who I met in India. He's a preacher there. He came to know the Lord, and uh, he decided that here in rural, the middle part of India, which can be a very dangerous place to be right now, kind of out of the reaches of the big cities and where the police can enforce some laws, Christians are often targeted and often persecuted. And my friend here um, had uh, begun to go plant churches, and his only form of transportation was a bicycle. So he would ride his bicycle to a village that had never heard the gospel, never even heard the name Jesus. And these people were so lost and sad and broken thinking that they had no hope, and he would come and tell them about Jesus, and people began to follow the Lord, and he started this little church in this little village, and so every week he would ride his bicycle there and lead them in Bible study and prayer and tell them about Jesus, and he got threatened by some Hindu extremist that said, you better quit doing this, but he kept going, and one day after a Bible study, he was riding his bicycle back to his home village when a mob jumped out from behind the bridge. This is just three years ago. And they threw him off his bicycle, threw his bicycle off the bridge, broke his glasses, and they began to hit and kill him, or try to kill him, to kick him. And he told me, he said, I thought I was going to die. 
But then he just kept on talking in this story that was being translated to me. And he said, then all of a sudden it got really dark and I was able to hide away until they left. And then he just went on with the story. And I was like, wait, wait, what happened? It got dark and I was able to hide and they finally left because they couldn't see me anymore. What do you do with that? You praise God that God said, I'm not through with you yet here on this earth. And I loved hearing his story. And by the way, there's a whole lot of other stories like that. God doesn't always intervene and save the day like he did there. Sometimes he lets his people really suffer because he has a bigger plan in mind. But my friend here loves Jesus so much that there's nothing that could stop him from sharing the gospel with other people. But when we hear the story of Jesus, that's not always everyone's response, is it? Do you remember who the first witnesses of the resurrection were? We often think about the women. And Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, the other women that were there, they were the first people to testify that Jesus had risen from the dead, but they actually weren't the first witnesses. You know who they were? It was the guards. Remember, there were guards assigned to the tomb because the Jewish leaders were afraid that somebody would come and steal the body and then make up a story that Jesus had risen from the dead. And so they put these guards there to make sure that wouldn't happen along with a big stone. But the guards came there and they were sitting there and they were thinking, well, this is going to be pretty uneventful because Jesus is dead. He's in the tomb. Nothing else is going to happen. April Fool's. Because then what happened? Jesus rose from the dead, and uh, Matthew 28, verse 4 says, the guards were so afraid they were like frozen dead. And then look down at what happened to their story. Verse 11 of Matthew 28. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did what they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Did you catch that? The guards saw the greatest story in the history of the world, and they got bought out. They forfeited it. I mean, they could have been part of, uh, been world changers. You, you know what the early church was known for? The early church was known for uh, studying God's word and following Jesus. The early church was known that when they got attacked, they didn't attack back. They loved back. The early church was known for that when they were persecuted or when they were robbed, they actually gave their things to the people who robbed them or took them. The early church, they were known for gathering their resources and their money and sending it to help the poor and to help the hungry and feeding those who need it. The early church was known to wander through the city where babies sometimes would just be left on the city street to die if they were unwanted. And the early church would go through, listening for the cries of babies and scooping them up and taking them into their own homes. That's the kind of thing the early church was known for. And they changed the planet. And the impact of Jesus' love in their lives and in our lives is still being felt today. And I know sometimes the church, individual churches, have messed up and we've blown it and we have not been the witness that Jesus wanted. But the church is still the witness that Jesus wants. And you have the opportunity to be the church that Jesus wants in your life. And you have heard this story. If you hadn't heard before today, now you've heard it. 
that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. And now the question becomes, what will you do with that story? Will it change everything in your life or not? Jesus, when he was pressed, did not even walk away and shrink away from death himself. He set the example by dying on a cross because of his love, and then he overcame death on the third day. And all of history tells us that, literature tells us that, experience tells us that, and the changed lives of millions and millions of people tell us that as well. And Jesus wants to change your life too. If you would do me a favor, there's a communication card that's in your bulletin. It looks like this. Or if you don't have your bulletin here, there's one in the back of your chair. Just pull that out for a second if you would. And on that communication card, there's a place to put your name and stuff and prayer requests, and we appreciate that. But on, on the back of that card, it says, I am interested in, and there's some options there. And while you are just thinking about what does God's story mean for you, I just want to ask you to think about responding before you leave today. And maybe you want to know more. Maybe you want to figure out how can I connect to this church so that I can do things with my life that make a difference on this planet, make a difference in this community. Well, for you, you might need to check attend HP 101. That's a free lunch we do next week where we meet with people who want to know more about Highland Park. If you click that or sign that there, then, then we'll follow up with you this week. We'd love to, to talk with you more about what it means to follow Jesus and, and how you can connect with this church. And it's uh, just a free lunch and an informal time right after the service next week. But maybe... You've never said yes to Jesus in your life. And maybe what you need to put is that you're interested in talking to a staff member or beginning a relationship with God. And if you mark that, then what will happen this week is me or somebody on staff will give you a call or shoot you an email and just say, hey, do you want to get together and study or talk and find out what it means to follow Jesus with your life and how we can come alongside and help you with that? And even after the service here, we'll have some folks up front that would be glad to pray with you and meet with you and talk with you. Maybe you want to know about serving or joining a small group. I want to ask you, sometimes God pricks our heart. And if he's pricking your heart this morning to do something, to take a step, would you take it before you leave? Because the world has lots of distractions, right? And so if God is speaking to you, I want to ask you to follow up with that. Because Jesus has told and lived the greatest story in the history of the world. And that should make a profound difference in our lives every moment, every hour, every day. Let's pray. God, we thank you for um, dying for us and then showing us the power that you've overcome death. So that we have hope to overcome the sin in our life because you overcome it. And we have the opportunity to live with you forever because you've overcome death as well. And so, God, I pray for every person here to respond as you've prompted them to respond, that we would do something with the greatest story ever and that we would embrace that you've won this great war uh, galactically, cosmically, and yet we're still in the midst of a battle, so we need you so that the dragon doesn't have the last say in our lives, but we let you have the last say. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.